It is the first day of November, and so today, someone will die. Hi, I'm Shannon. And I'm Navita. And, and we're, we're the, the Raven, Raven Girls. Girls. Welcome to our Raven Cycle Podcast. Where we talk about two dysfunctional teenagers and carnivorous, flesh-rending fairy horses that want to drag you into the ocean and are also your best friend. <laughs> <laughs> Today we're covering the Scorpio races. And we're covering the whole book. Yeah. <laughs> we'll also be taking a deep dive on the mythology of water horses. I love horses, and I consider myself water element. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is fair, because I'm a Scorpio. You're a fucking Scorpio. <laughs> <laughs> because you're a fucking Scorpio. <laughs> Disclaimers. This is an analysis podcast, even though it's still a special episode. We will be discussing the entirety of the Scorpio races. Right. This means that it will be spoilerific, so you'll want to have read the book before you listen. Correct. We'll use pronunciations from the audiobooks, or to the best of our ability, <laughs> Gaelic is beautiful, but it is difficult. Yes. And page numbers will be referenced from the hardcover edition. And a disclaimer from me, this podcast has a teen plus rating that will still hold for the special episode. There will be canon levels of adult content, including Ronan swearing, except not Ronan, 300 Foxway drinking, except not 300 Foxway. Was there a lot of drinking in the Scorpio races? There's uh, not. There's, there's a couple. Not. There's a little bit. And then there's not a ton of periods, I guess. And there's a lot of <laughs> Kapalushka violence. Yes. So hopefully nobody bites anybody. I don't bite, usually. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's actually get into the episode. (laughs) Shannon and I are staring each other down. Okay. I'm going to tie knots in your hair. Okay, so just a few upfront notes. Those who are familiar with our special episodes will know that our discussions with these are much more relaxed and conversational. So we'll ask questions back and forth, and we'll try and dig into some of the corners that our listeners might not have gotten into. And also, we are in the middle of baking November cakes right now. (laughs) So we'll also be breaking to take care of and possibly eat those as we're recording. So we're excited about that. Yay! Would you like to start out with a basic synopsis Um, of the Scorpio races? Okay, I can. So basically, the concept is there's an island off the coast of Ireland, maybe? Or Scotland. Or Scotland. That is home to Kapayushka, which are basically like these vicious water horses. Mm -hmm. They come as shore every fall starting in late October during the sign of Scorpio and the people who live on the island have a kind of love-hate relationship with these creatures. They fear them because they kill people every year Mm -hmm. and yet they also admire them and are proud that they are the island that these creatures live on Mm -hmm. and they capture and race them every year in a big event called the Scorpio races. Right. And the book focuses on two characters, Puck and Sean, and the story of one year's race. Yeah, for myself I was sort of like, once again, I I feel like it's a Steve Otter book that sort of defies the ability to put it into a neat box. <laughs> She's it, good with that. Yeah. But it's really easy to see the influence of like Susan Cooper's The Dark is Rising series in the uh-huh. Scorpio races. And Maggie has said that she built the world to be as real as she could make mm-hmm. it, even going physically to the locations that felt like Thisbe to her. Mm-hmm. And she cites an influencing passage from Diana Wynne Jones's book, A Tale of Time 
City referencing something called 42 Century Butter Pies. <laughs> and I have not read a lot of Diana Wynne Jones, but the passage is wonderful tastes filled her mouth, everything buttery and creamy she had ever tasted with just a hint of toffee and 20 other even better tastes she had never met before, all of it icy cold. At that moment, she bit through into the middle of the butter pie and it was hot, runny, syrupy hot. And so Maggie wanted to write a book that captured the feeling of something that doesn't exist in the world, but could, it feels so real Uh from the description, could exist in the world. Mm -hmm. And then I'm just going to say from Maggie's own website, her description, it's based on the legends of the the Ish, oh yeah, we're going to mess up this, Ishka, Ishka? The Celtic water horse. The Scorpio races take place on the tiny fictional island of Thisbe. You already said all this. So both Sean Kendrick, four-time champion, and Kate Puck Connolly, newcomers to the races, will ride again this year. Both of them have more to gain or lose than in any previous year, but only one can win. We'll talk about the characters at this point. Okay. And starting with the first character being Sean Kendrick. And my note was brooding, dark-haired Irishman. Yes, please. Agreed. <laughs> yes, he is He is awesome. I adore Sean Kendrick. Yes. In like... ways that I really feel like I shouldn't adore Sean Kendrick. <laughs> But there is something about the way that he is written that appeals to me. I have no idea why. Mm, His way with horses. He's magic without being explicitly magic. Yes. I have a theory about that. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk about it later. (laughs) Sean is 19 years old. His father was killed by Kor, his mount, when Sean was 10. Kor didn't actually kill him. Well, I mean... No, the other... Right, that's true. Kor didn't kill him, but Kor was the horse he was riding. Kor was the horse he was riding. Yes, Mm -hmm. you are correct. I did say that wrong. Because Sean specifically was like, don't eat my dad, and he didn't eat his dad. Right. Yes, yes, you're right. (laughs) He was killed riding... Okay. When Sean was 10, he's been racing in the Scorpio races since he was 13, and he's been winning since he was 15. He's been in it for the last six years. Mm -hmm. Kate Puck Connolly. So Kate is... Oh, shoot. How old is she? Like six? It's, it doesn't it's actually not say. specified. Yeah. Uh, her age and Finn, well, actually all three of them, their ages aren't specified. I guess 17 to close to 18 is mm-hmm. where I was putting her. Yeah, basically. That's where I was thinking to you. Mm-hmm. Young woman who lives on this island and her parents were both killed last October. They went out on a boat and were killed by Kapayushka. And so she and her two brothers are now orphans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a point where she says that her mother says <laughs> yeah. she was always she was made of vinegar. Yes. She was bathed in vinegar when she was born and they tried to soak her in sugar, basically. Yeah. I have spunky, strong willed, cranky. Yep. Sounds about like someone else I know. <laughs> Navita is pointing at herself. Yes. But yeah, I, I love Puck. She is awesome. Yeah. I love how she's written as competent and fierce and yet conscientious. Still, yeah. Yeah. And still like she has this very vulnerable 
side to her because mm-hmm. she's still very much hurting and right. she's in a very tenuous position. Right. Yeah, I've never been a huge fan of the orphan trope in media. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but for some reason, this time I'm willing to forgive it. I don't know why, but maybe it's because it's not like Puck's parents have really been fridged. Right. I mean, obviously that's a part of her backstory, but it's not what makes her join the Scorpio races, although right. obviously it's a part of that whole story. Mm-hmm. And so for some reason, I'm willing to forgive it this time around. I'm usually not that big of a fan. Mm. I like the fact that the names Puck and Thisbe are both taken, one would assume, from Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream, mm-hmm. which is, you guessed it, one of his fairy plays. Uh-huh. Oh, and, I love Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah, it's probably my favorite of his. I don't know. Mm. And Thisbe, obviously, is further taken from the Greek myth of Thisbe and Pyramus from Ovid's Metamorphosis. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to point that out up front. Puck's mom is referenced a couple times, and she definitely has what would be considered an Irish surname with Cown, K-E-O-W-N. But I looked that up and it's like Irish, 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 mm-hmm. Irish. So that helps place it in a certain area of the world. Right. Okay, so Puck has two brothers, Gabe and Finn Connolly. Mm-hmm. I told you Gabe first. Gabe mm-hmm. is the older brother. He's described as fairly handsome. Mm-hmm. He's working as much as he can to support his, his, young, younger, yeah, siblings. his younger siblings. Mm-hmm. We do have a question later about Gabe. So uh-huh. maybe we'll save most of Gabe for then. I don't know what mm-hmm. you have in that. Yeah, I'm trying to think of anything else. That stands out for you. Yeah. Just like demeanor wise, he's kind of like... What I say is like the Connolly brothers seem so much like the older and younger Lynch brothers to me. They're like proto-Lynches. They sort kind of, of are. With that older, distant brother and then the sweet, somewhat odd or daft younger brother. Yeah. <laughs> and then you've got Gabe is six years old older than Puck and Finn is indeterminately younger and I picture Mm -hmm. him like 14 or 15 at this Mm -hmm. point and then Maggie has said she stole her own brother's basically carte blanche for Finn and Gabe okay there are two brothers in the Scorpio races and I just stole my two real brothers for them without changing too much (laughs) did you get a chance to read oh shoot oh my gosh oh you didn't (laughs) I knew there was something that I meant to do so there I can read it on a break yeah yeah you know, I'm not going to talk too much about it, but there is one chapter that Maggie released that was from Finn's point of view, and it's actually the night of the Scorpio Festival mm-hmm. when he actually sells the Morris. Okay. And so you see that from his POV from when they get separated. Right. And there's so many good little details, obviously, about Finn in that. But then mm-hmm. one of the things that I loved the most is this passage. This is when I discovered that the crowd has eaten my sister and Brian Carroll. I don't mind the loss of Brian Carroll much because I don't know him very well, but I am upset at it for eating Puck. I never used to be afraid of being left behind, but now I'm always afraid of being left behind. I love Finn. He's such a sweetheart. Yeah. And one of the things that I find interesting is that he definitely has classic OCD symptoms. Mm. He's constantly washing his hands. He's taking things apart and putting them back together. He can't Mm -hmm. do certain things if other things haven't been done. Right. And And the whole like lining up the stuff in the back of the car. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All of that. Mm -hmm. I, I love the fact that it's not 
not pointed out, although the family obviously recognizes it. Mm -hmm. But there's also, and I'm not trying to armchair diagnose or anything, but there's like some kind of neurodivergent sort of stinny behaviors and things with Finn Mm -hmm. that I find very interesting that she included with that character. Mm -hmm. But I love the fact that he's like one of the few people that really sacrifices for and believes in Puck. I mean, he Uh gives... Well, he sells, but he sells the thing he cares about the most in the whole entire world so that she can do what she wants to uh-huh. do, basically, whether he thinks she's going to win or not, which he apparently does. He sacrifices a lot for her. Mm-hmm. All right. Matthew and Benjamin Malvern. I almost put who is your... Yeah, yeah, I almost put who is your favorite slash least favorite character questions into the list. But I figured there really isn't a point because there's two. Yeah, least favorite characters are going to be the Malverns. Mm -hmm. There's no question on who we were going to hate, right? (laughs) Do you have anything specific? I don't know who I hate more. Yeah. Mutt for like what he does to the horses. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Or Benjamin Melvin for, for setting being... him up to be an awful human being. Uh-huh. Trying to take a house away from a bunch of orphans. Well, that too. <laughs> yeah. But I, again, pretty much blame Benjamin Malvern for everything that Mutt is terrible about. Mm-hmm. Because he continually baits his son by saying that Sean is better. Sure, it might be true. <laughs> But that's not what you say. Exactly. I mean, maybe Mutt Malvern, Matthew Malvern, would be a better person if his dad actually believed in him. Mm. Yeah, it swings back and forth for me who I hate more personally, but I think it's Benjamin Malvern. Yeah, because like if it weren't for Benjamin Malvern, Mutt wouldn't be as bad as he is. Yeah. I think you're right. He created Mutt. And then there's a great irony in the son of a breeder of thoroughbred horses being called Mutt. <laughs> well, I mean, the irony isn't intended because he's, he's a bastard, he's bastard son. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I also had to laugh about Benjamin Malvern's story about taming his first horse. <laughs> because I don't know if it's by coincidence or if Maggie put it in as a slide nod to mythology or history. Or if it's actually supposed to be an in-character display of arrogance. But the whole way he describes it reminded me so much of Alexander the Great taming mm-hmm. his legendary horse, Bucephalus. Like, it's pretty much the same story. Mm-hmm. It's like, did you just... Did you just retell one of the most famous horse stories in history and say that it was you that did it? I would, I would I, not put it past him. I would not That's either. absolutely the kind of thing that he would do. Yeah. All right. George Holly. I love him. Yeah. He's so flippin' funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, pretty much my notes are California, race yard owner, Holly Berries, question mark, red hat, awesome. <laughs> He's just great. He's he really, is. really great. I love his interactions with Sean. Mm-hmm. I think he, as much as Puck, breaks through Sean's loneliness and his barriers to people. Yeah. I think without George Hawley, Sean might not have even connected with Puck. Mm-hmm. And possibly vice versa. But it, he connected with George Hawley first. Right. And I think it opened up his world and his people. Mm-hmm. And then the horses, Cor, Dove, and Skata. I love Cor and Dove. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Skata is scary. Yeah, of course. (laughs) 
you know, she would have been fine if she had just been released back into the sea. Like Sean said, just Mm -hmm. put her back, put her back. Mm -hmm. There's a certain amount of don't fuck with this that you gotta like, just put her back. (laughs) One of the things that I looked up, core means spear or pointed, which I thought was great. But it also reminds me of the Latin word for heart core. Uh-huh. One of the questions that I had was when Sean finds core again, Sean is in a cave and the water is starting to come in and he puts his hand up on a wall and his palm gets cut and there is blood going into the water and then he looks up and he sees core. And I was wondering if you thought that maybe core had recognized Sean's blood in the water. Possibly. I think it's a dream. I don't actually remember why he's having that memory, but basically the memory ends right there and so we mm-hmm. don't get anything further past the point of him looking up and seeing core mm-hmm. and I really kind of want the rest of that scene to know yes. how it all went together. The yeah. only thing about Skata that I thought was interesting really was that Puck and Sean describe her pretty much exactly the opposite of each other <laughs> not like her personality but actually her physicality when they see her for the first time. One says she's black with white clouds and and one says she's white with black splashes. And I just thought it was interesting that they were, I mean, mm. obviously she's half black, half white, but sort of like which one is the prominent color and which one is the secondary right. color. Which means that she's pretty even. If, right. they, if you can have two people look at her and be like. Right. But even that, I kind of was like, are you uh-huh. seeing the good in her? How could that be interpreted past yeah, just her coloration? Point. And then Dove. Dove is mm-hmm. such a good horse. <laughs> she's a she's good a girl. Giant, she's She's a giant dog. Basically. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's so good. Yeah. She's mm. the horse that every person who wants a horse wants that horse. Mm. <laughs> I love how Dove and Core are basically like Sean and Puck as horses in a lot of ways. Like not exactly, but mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. yeah, they both have this strong connection to their, right. they both have like this sort of intelligence that you don't normally see in, mm-hmm. in a horse yeah. or mm-hmm. just in a nail animal in general yeah no they're pretty i love them Mm -hmm. so anything about peg gratton and the grattons i like peg a lot peg is fun (laughs) i like how like how like all the men are afraid of her yeah (laughs) they know that she would eat them or something like that cut cut their heart out and serve it to them neat (laughs) yes yeah Yeah. Her husband isn't in a ton of scenes. Her son obviously isn't in a ton of scenes. I do like the scene where her husband, Tom, I think, Tom Gratton, that he picks Puck up in his truck and is just like chatty. Just like, Uh whatever, I'm going there. I'll take you with me. And then he's like, let's stop and pick up Sean. It's like the most contrived meat cute of all meat cute. Because uh, uh. he's a butcher. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> you literally face bombed. <laughs> all right. Anyway, oh, but it's man. the most like contrived meat cute of all time. All right. Dory Maud, Elizabeth and Annie. I love them. Uh-huh. I just keep saying that. I just loved this book. <laughs> Tell me how you I, really feel. <laughs> I really like the like eccentric spinster aunt trope. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like, 
Yeah, those kind of characters just always catch my attention because they're always really funny. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> my note was very clearly they are Thisbe's version of the triple goddess. They are kind yeah. of. You're Annie right. being the maiden, kind mm-hmm. of floaty and ditzy the times that we've seen her and how much she's disconnected from the world. Mm-hmm. And then Dory Maud being the mother, kind of the caretaker and mm-hmm. the one that's going out and caretaking for Puck as well. And Elizabeth with her bitterness being being the crone of the yeah. three. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. I also choose to believe that Finn was too young to gamble and that Dory Maud placed the bet for him. <laughs> yeah. Because that's right. That was yeah. something I was going to mention. And like, yeah. I forgot to write it. Because like, there's this discussion between right. a couple of the boys, like, is it 16 or 17 that you can... Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then I wonder if she bet on Puck too, because she said that Puck was a good bet. Uh-huh. So that would be kind of fun if Dory Maud showed up with this huge wad of cash. (laughs) And then Tommy Falk. Do we want to talk about Tommy Falk? The boy with the pretty lips. Oh my gosh, Tommy. (laughs) Yes, it is really sad that he had to die. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of like, why do you Uh have to do that? Obviously, it was to raise the stakes by killing off someone that we care about. Mm -hmm. I find it interesting that it was off screen. Like, basically, we only see Puck and Sean's reaction. Right. Tommy was kind of that burst of sunshine, kind Uh of a goofy... He lightened every scene that he was in. Yeah. I mean, there were some times when you're like, Tommy, why are you being like that? Mm -hmm. Kind of like that group mob, groupthink mentality where they were all going after Puck for no good reason other than she was a girl. But why did he have to die? I think maybe just to, again, kind of up the stakes by someone that we care about and Mm -hmm. to, to show Sean's connection to the sea and the older religion. Yeah. And kind of show that other side of Thisbe that Mm. was hinted at the whole time. It hadn't been shown as being something that people actually still practiced. Right. Until Tommy Falk's funeral. Mm. Yeah, I I really loved that. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm glad that we got to see that and like got to see Mm -hmm. that aspect of it. But I'm also like, poor Gabe. Yeah. (laughs) All right. All right. So, overall impressions. As I've said about a million times already, I loved the book. Right. Are you um, glad that I finally made I, you Yes, I am. Uh, I couldn't I'm put like, it down. I read it in like two days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the way that it merged mythology with what felt like a really believable world. Right. Mm-hmm. I loved all the characters, as I've just said, and the setting and the world that Maggie built. I wouldn't want to go to the Scorpio race okay. because I don't want to see anyone die a group some debt. <laughs> right. But I absolutely want to go to this parade beforehand. Oh, to, you mean to the festival? <laughs> yeah, to the festival. Because, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like, I think that would be a lot of fun. Right. Because the Scorpio race celebrations are basically everything I love about late October and Halloween. Right, right. Like, mm-hmm. it's the same right. kind of, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of a little spooky, a little uh-huh. sexy bonfires and... Right, and just, and... like, the celebration of the same sort of feel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also, I wrote this before I knew we were making them, but uh, also, (laughs) I want a November cake. Okay, well, we will have those. (laughs) All right. So my impressions are pretty much, quite frankly, if I hadn't read and loved the Scorpio races, I never would have given the Raven Cycle a chance. Mm -hmm. No matter how much I loved Corvids... (laughs) 
<laughs> and when I first listened, and yes, the audiobook is stunning, and it's I amazing. highly recommend it. I was completely swept away by, like you said, the setting, the magic, the characters, kind of the feel of it. And I was in love with every character, too, including the non-human ones. Mm-hmm. And what I appreciated most, I think, was that the love story was so deft after everything that I'd found unbearably cloying about the Shiver trilogy, I was like, <laughs> yes, they haven't kissed. I'm okay with that. <laughs> like, slow burn, baby, slow burn. I didn't write it down, but there was something where Maggie was saying when she wrote the scene with Sean bringing the bread to the house, and... It's so sweet. It's so sweet, but when Puck, of course, says, I won't be your weakness, Sean Kendrick... It's a light for that puck and what she said when she wrote that she was like that's it I'm done bing (laughs) and then she said when she handed it to her husband she could tell the exact moment that he read that quote because he yelled from the other room there's the money shot (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that's pretty good Uh, Oh my gosh, I love that. (laughs) All right. So things overall that we liked or what worked for us. All right. So again, the mixing of mythology and realism. Yeah, that's pretty Uh, much mine too. mm, Maggie did such a fantastic job of building a world that feels recognizably ours, Mm -hmm. but is also full of magic. Right. And the magical aspects don't feel forced at all. Like it doesn't feel weird that there are these. Yeah, mm, that's exactly what mm -hmm. I have too. I think one of the things I adored most was the fairy folklore just woven in, much like Uh the Raven Cycle. And it seems so commonplace when Sean carries holly berries in his pocket and makes bracelets out of red ribbon. Uh, I was going to say, like, I also loved the undertone of the ancient religion that was covered Mm -hmm. over by Christianity. Right, right. I think we see just enough of it to make us want to see more and, like, learn Mm -hmm. more. It piques our interest and leaves a bit to the imagination and a bit to mystery. Yeah, that's one of my big themes. Back to the fairy folklore being woven in. Yes, he even carries a holy stone. (laughs) I know, yeah. I thought about that when I read it. Yeah, he says... Namita will be happy. Oh, yeah, I already knew. And says, if Cora were any other water horse, I'd string it on his halter tonight to make more noise in his head than the approaching November sea does. Mm -hmm. That's page 247. But I love all of the little sprinkling in of protective charms and the folklore, like iron and bells and daisies, which is an herb that fairies don't like, Mm -hmm. and the color red. The knots tied in the Mm -hmm. mane. 379. I found a passage from a website about protecting yourself from fairies that says other protective means include ringing bells, whistling, snapping clappers, self-bored stones, which have holes in them created by running water, not only allow a person to see through glamour by looking through the hole, but also protect animals and people from being taken. A number of different plants and herbs are useful as counter charms. Daisies can prevent children from being kidnapped. Aha! Probably by water horses. And then the wood or red berries from rowan or ash trees, and I would add holly to that Mm -hmm. as well. Holly's extremely protective. Do much the same for adults. So I just love that all of these little things are real, concrete, in our world, Uh mythological or folklore, folk magic that people do still today Mm -hmm. weave into their lives. I mean, I have bells on my doors for a reason. Yes, intruders is one of them, but that's (laughs) not the only one. (laughs) 
Yeah, this stuff is real. It works. It's, yeah. Mm. In in this world, in it's this like, world. yes, these are the commonplace items that they use. I also love some of the parallel strands in the book. Mm-hmm. When Sean and Puck both first see each other, before they even spoke, they were told to stop staring at the other one <laughs> by some <laughs> random bystander. They're like, dude, you Aww. need to just like lift the jaw a little bit, buddy. Um, <laughs> but they both talk about they have this odd wild pull of emotion that they couldn't identify, which is probably a crush. Mm-hmm. And then I also loved there's a couple of mirror scenes. One that's at the beginning of the book where Puck looks in a mirror and wishes she looked grown up mm-hmm. and different than the child that she is. And then at the end, as she's getting ready to go see Malvern, she realizes that she does look grown up mm-hmm. and different. And I really, for some reason, like that yeah. book ending of the character a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, she does a lot of growing up in that she does absolutely three weeks Mm -hmm. yeah the whole book i think takes place in about three weeks i think we're at things we overall that we disliked or what didn't work for us for myself it's really hard to say because i love this book a lot I wish there was a little bit more support for Puck with the background characters. Um, Mm -hmm. Get a little bit from Peg Gratton at the end. But as much as I understand that this is a product of the time period, it was a little disheartening to have only Finn and then Sean supporting Puck. Right. I mean, I guess Dory Maud kind of does and Peg kind of does. Mm -hmm. And like George Hawley is an outsider. So his support doesn't Doesn't really mean anything to the Islanders. I was like, I wish she had one. Yeah, the, yeah, the more only person. one whose support means anything is Sean's. To anyone else, yeah. Mm-hmm. To anyone who's outside of the family. Yeah, that's right. what I meant. Yeah. He is the reason that they don't just physically take her off the rock and like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, there's not a whole lot that I can criticize about the book because I freaking loved it. But if I had to pick something, I would say that maybe there are points where the relationship between Sean and Puck seems like it's too easy. Mm. Like, you know from the moment that they meet that they're going to be together. Right. Like I said earlier, they both Uh feel like this weird... uh, mm -hmm. I Mm. do like, though, that... When is it George Holly or Malvern? But it's at the end of the very, the very, very end of the book. Someone asks Puck if Sean and she are an item, and she says, We're, We're in, in training, training uh-huh. which I thought was great. That, yes. I mean, I really did. That think, was Malvern. Okay, it was Malvern. Okay, yeah. I really did actually like that. I do. I like that a lot. Because, you know, it does kind of say it's not going to be as easy as like maybe these past three weeks mm-hmm. were. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And also, like, you mentioned uh, Maggie was talking about the slow burn kind of Mm -hmm. thing. And she called it painfully slow. Right, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I don't see it as that, really. It just I think she had said because Shiver had kissing every five pages or something. Uh And I'm like, no, I'm glad. (laughs) Uh Yeah, it's a different kind of love story. I think part of what it is is that in most romances, the relationship is where the tension is. Mm. And in the Scorpio races, that's not where it is at all. Right. It's actually an external thing, Mm. which makes sense. The races set up a goal for the both of them to work towards. Right. And so that gives them an external conflict versus obviously Mm -hmm. them being internal conflict. Mm -hmm. Next would be through lines and themes. Mm -hmm. Do you want to go first? You can go first. 
because I'm sure we picked up on a bunch of the same. All right. So I think the biggest theme for me was the conflict and duality. Mm -hmm. It was lots of tradition versus modernization, religion versus spirituality, Mm -hmm. the past versus the future, male power versus female power, Mm -hmm. staying versus leaving, Mm -hmm. and nature versus nurture. Right. And so it was just very interesting to see all of these dualities kind of represented between especially the two main characters because Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways they both will stay but a lot of ways they do kind of represent each theme the other side of it Mm -hmm. and yet they fit together well enough right again like I love the mythology theme that runs through it and I love how it's tied into something that's basically at its core a fairly simple story Mm -hmm. it's all about life in a small town basically right yeah isolation is a big part of it because like Mm -hmm. Thisbe is just so isolated and it relies entirely on like fishing and then in November tourism. Right. Yeah. And you definitely get the feeling that you pretty much only get tourists for the Scorpio races. And that's part of that push and pull between Mm -hmm. the tradition of it versus the should we be doing this? What will happen if it changes? Mm -hmm. What happens in the future if Puck wins? Will that then stop the Scorpio races? Will they turn into something else? Someone said, well, if you're not writing a Kapalishka, it's just a race. Right. And that then would sort of yes. destroy Thisbe's mm-hmm. economy like, because nobody's going to come for a race. Right. And like Tommy's dad says, if it doesn't have to be Kapaishka, then all of this is meaningless. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the duality is like people either can't wait to leave to the mainland or they can't see themselves ever leaving. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And we see these struggles that come from this kind of environment. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot like the kind of place where I come from. It's just yeah, like, you know, small town. everybody everybody <laughs> leaves or you like you never leave. Right. Yes. Uh-huh. All of those people on Facebook that I never want to talk to. Uh-huh. Again. <laughs> yeah. Because and, they never left. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the overlay of the water horses over all this like basic story and you get glimpses into this mythology and superstitions and religion mm-hmm. and you mean the old religion yeah. versus christianity yeah which basically even the church she says you can tell it was an older building uh-huh. at one point because, because yeah because the confessional is obviously Added so on. tacked into mm-hmm. the room and of course the stable which is yeah, one of the most ooh, the gorgeous passages of the descriptions of the stables Mm -hmm. and it's almost like the way it's described the stables were a temple Mm -hmm. to the Kapalishka and that was where they were kept that was where they were worshipped that was where obviously blood was spattered there Mm -hmm. and yeah like is it Quirstall that Sean's like there was yeah, I don't remember if it's specified. It says something stall? about a back wall. So uh, it's been painted over many yeah, times, but in the morning a, light. There's a handprint uh-huh. in blood, yeah. Which is terrifying. I mean, how mm-hmm. can you possibly work with something that you know is pr- right. pretty much going to rip your throat out at any moment? And, you know, it's probably not something I'd particularly want to do. I, but I always mm-hmm. wanted to be a zookeeper, Sarah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I guess... That. 
It reminds me of a story of back when the zoo had the sea lions. One of them got really annoyed because he wanted the whole bucket of fish Mm -hmm. and the trainer wouldn't give it to him, but he bit her, like Mm. put her in the hospital for like weeks because because sea lion mouths are nasty. And they're big. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, Like bit through her wetsuit. And, like, she managed to stay in charge and be like, no, and mm-hmm. and back him, mm-hmm. make him back down. And if she hadn't, she wouldn't have ever been able to work with him again. Right. Because she <laughs> had to show dominance. Mm-hmm. And then he would have known that he could have walked all over her. And right. Her or exactly. Take advantage of her anytime he wanted to. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else on that? Yeah, just something that you mentioned earlier, like so much that is drawn from like traditional fairy lore, mm-hmm. like, you know, the iron and the right. and the knots and yeah, and just, I love that. Yeah, I think my favorite part of that is the commonplace. We already talked uh-huh. about it, but just yeah. the commonplace of it. And then just something that really kept striking me was repetition of certain symbols, particularly what caught me this past time was the color red. And every time the color red was mentioned mm-hmm. like George Holly's hat and Father mm-hmm. Mooneyham's car mm-hmm. and of course the red cloth and the red ribbons around the horses but mm-hmm. how much of that was kind of built into paint colors like the front door of the house I think was painted red mm-hmm. and there was all of these things that were like red 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 the horse that's painted on the ceiling that Sean right. sees and then of course Cor, Cor himself, is red yeah But I thought that was interesting because it ties back to sort of the fairy mythology. Mm -hmm. The red color was often originally made from iron ochre. Oh, so that's why. The actual iron in the pigment was what was driving fairies away or would actually supposedly make you invisible to fairies if you wore it. And if you didn't have red clothes, you could tie a red ribbon into your hair or just weave a thread on you somewhere. Mm. And that would also take care of that. Interesting. Favorite scene, detail, or quote? Do you want to go first or do you want me to? Um, Go ahead. Okay. So my favorite quote is either the opening or the ending line. Yeah. The uh, end, mine, mine's the ending. <laughs> <laughs> either today is the first of November and so today someone will die or... I'm going to be a total sap and say the ending chapter. Basically, the oh, whole wow. thing. Uh-huh. Because once it reaches this point, and, and I've mostly listened to the audiobook, I start getting this visceral, full body chill when the chapter starts. And then I just start to cry. <laughs> and, then, and then it gets to full out bawling by the mm. final line, which is, he is slow and the sea sings to us both. But he returns to me. Oh, God. I'm going to cry. <laughs> like, I'm crying right now. But <laughs> that whole time I was like, no, you can't do this. No. Yeah. And I mean, there's a certain, like, of course, it's a bit of a cliche, like, mm-hmm. ending where you don't want Cora to go. And yes, you understand that Sean has to make this. But, uh-huh. like, again, a the theme of the book is sort of the loyalty and the family that you make yourself. Right. And, and Sean and Cor, they are a family, whether other people recognize that or not. Right. I mean, Puck does, obviously. George Holly does. Mm-hmm. That's why they're there on the beach with them. But. Right. So the last line. <laughs> yes. A little bit. Navita is still crying, guys. <laughs> 
Yeah, I have other scenes that I love as well. Of course, I love Puck and George Holly in the bakery. That whole yes, like, that's a like, really can, good one. You can tell that George Holly's like, so, huh? Yeah, so how? Uh-huh. Sh- what do you? My buddy likes you. <laughs> like, uh-huh. kind of like playing. He's trying wingman. to be a wingman. <laughs> yeah. And then I love when, of course, Puck and Sean ride core on the cliff top. And yes, that's such a good so one. So good. And then the mayor goddess giving Sean the shell. Yes, and like all a- of. Really the mystery one. around mm-hmm. that and like yeah yeah i also i loved the scene with little puck being like i live at the Connolly house because i'm one and you're not <laughs> that's what i was like that's something i would say <laughs> do i that's something i would say <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also the race between Puck on Dove and Finn and the Morris. Mm, yeah, yeah. Just, that's a lot of fun because that's where you first see Puck's love of riding and like right. how she feels about riding and racing. Mm-hmm. And in the end, you actually get your first glimpse of how someone who doesn't race the Kapolishki or Ishka sees Ish- them. Ishka. Ish- 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 Ishka. Yeah, Kapolishka. <laughs> Gaelic is hard, guys. The water horses. The damn water horses, okay? The Kapelishka. (laughs) Yeah, you see how, like, someone who doesn't participate in the Scorpio races sees these things. Mm -hmm. And then Puck declaring her mount. Yeah, that whole scene where she's... The first time when she goes to the butcher shop and... No, like the scene at the rock. Oh, the scene at the rock. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good one. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Her standing up for her rights against the patriarchy. <laughs> yeah, and then like when she ends up riding under Thisbe's colors. When yeah, that's pretty. Uh-huh, yeah. When Peg's like, no, you ride under Thisbe's colors. Right. Yeah. That's so sweet. That's why I said it's great that Peg at the beginning comes to tell her don't do this, and then uh-huh. at the end is like, if you're going to do this, we do are this going ride. to be behind you on mm-hmm. this. And then there's this scene where everyone's at the grass house after mm. and it reminds me so much of my house growing up right because my mom was always the community mom and so mm. that scene brings back a lot of memories yeah i liked again back to the dinner scene actually when puck is cooking and they all show up at her house and tommy's like gabe says you make a mean chicken and <laughs> and i think finn or gabe says well she doesn't make a nice one <laughs> <laughs> And we almost had flames for dinner. <laughs> we almost had flames for dinner. <laughs> All right. So we're going to go into the next section, which we'll dive into some of the details, although we've already gone into quite a, a few lot of, of details. Them. Yeah. Yeah. So first question on details. How did you like the setting and the time period? Was it more or less effective for you because of its ambiguity? I loved the fact that you can't really tell exactly what the time period is and that you don't mm-hmm. know exactly where this bee is. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the audiobook, there's this interview with Maggie and she talks a little bit about how she wanted to evoke the sort of timelessness and isolation mm-hmm. of island life. Right. It's one of the aspects that most appealed to me. I love how they form their own identity quite separate from the mainland, no matter what that mainland might be. And I think she did a wonderful job at that. And I really want to visit this bee. Yeah. <laughs> I think I would be afraid of getting eaten by Capish Kether. Yeah. <laughs> well, only in November, though. October and it's November. Because they don't come out the rest of the year. So you could visit anytime you wanted, except for then. <laughs> So for myself, the first few times through the book, the ambiguity didn't really bother me at all. I have to say this time, 
because I was going through it for the podcast, Mm -hmm. I found myself really wanting to pin it down. (laughs) (laughs) And so I now have a ton of searches in Google, like, when was the bowler hat popular? When was spray paint invented? When did Queen Victoria die? (laughs) So I kept picking these little details out and being like, when when was that? Wait, 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 what about that? What about that? What about that? And Maggie has said that she knows exactly where and when it took place. But I don't know that I believe her. (laughs) Yeah, it can't be because all of the details don't add up. I always pictured the time frame to be like post-World War II originally. Yeah. I could picture Holly living fittingly near Hollywood. Uh Uh-huh. But, you know, I could say perhaps post-World War I instead. Mm -hmm. But I think the most telling clue for time period was when the reporters asked Puck before the race if she was inspired by the women's Mm -hmm. suffrage Suffrage movement. movement. Uh And that would put it somewhere in the 20s. It depends. Are we talking about the suffrage movement in 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 England? England? I looked it up. Yeah, that's why I'm saying like Google has a bazillion searches of like, when was women's suffrage in Ireland? When was women's Mm -hmm. suffrage in Scotland? When was women's suffrage in England? Like, I literally looked at At the time period. Mm -hmm. And it was either like 1919 to 1928. Okay. was kind of like mm-hmm. when that movement and when things tended to be awarded by 1928, right. depending on where they were. I think Scotland might have been the latest, but mm. um, but like, it's hard to say the exact year. And you could then say, well, inspired by the women's suffrage movement could be any time in the early 30s as well. But, also, but then you're getting into World War Two, right. and that's... I think would have been a major player if they were talking about there being a war. There would have like that would have been said. Right. <laughs> like people would not be coming from America to the Scorpio races if World War Two was happening. Right. Another clue is we know how much Sean makes in a year. How is that a clue? Well, I guess <laughs> like I have no idea what the standard is for what's essentially a stable boy. I mean, he's being treated mm-hmm. by Malvern as a stable boy. He's That's not being true. called a trainer or, and it's an island economy, so... It could be different. Yeah. Well, I mean, I did look up, like, what countries use the pound? Like, I mean, literally, <laughs> I have probably 15, 16 different detailed questions. When was mm. the flashlight invented? When was, mm. like... <laughs> I think the one that kicks it is someone says that George Hawley is richer than the Queen, but Queen Victoria died in 1901. Uh, There wasn't a Queen Elizabeth until the 50s. Right. So wouldn't they say richer than the King, if that was the case? Mm. And the other one was, when was spray paint invented? Because she says that the sheep was spray painted a particular color. Oh, yeah. Well dye on sheep has been hundreds of years, but spray paint itself was invented in the mid-50s, if I want to say. So, like, that puts it way out of the time period that I would think that it was in. I would think it would, again, be the beginning of the 20th century. So, anyway, there were all of these little details. I'm like, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. (laughs) I choose to believe that she just said spray paint and didn't mean spray paint. (laughs) Damn editing. Um, Mm -hmm. But anyway... 
So as for the location, the best clue I could find was actually based on St. Columba. Okay. He was an Irish-born saint, but was credited with the conversion of parts of Scotland and died on a Scottish island named Iona. Huh. I didn't find anything about his body being washed up by the sea, but incorruptibility was apparently often taken as a hallmark of sainthood. I'll also admit that I've had Google Maps zoomed in on every island on the Atlantic side of Ireland and Scotland at one point or another (laughs) over the last few weeks. I have Googled so many of those stupid little... (laughs) No, they're great. If there's anyone who lives on any of those islands, they all look beautiful and I want to visit so badly. But I've had... I've probably seen your house because I've been so zoomed in on Google Maps. I know more about the Atlantic side of those countries than I needed to. Yes. (laughs) Obsessive much. Okay. But Maggie said, really, it's a novel about nostalgia. Mm -hmm. It's nostalgic for some imagined Celtic past filmed with old BBC graininess, a past where people wore flat caps and wool, where cars were slow and horses were fast, where civilization was intimate and hand-hewed and wilderness was vast and briny. That is awesome. Yeah, it's really beautiful. (laughs) All right, next question. What did you think about Gabe and his reasons for leaving Thisbe? So I think I just have a soft spot for Steve Otter older siblings. (laughs) Because I think being an oldest, I know how hard it is to kind of stay in a place you hate. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But leave your siblings behind and maybe what's not the best situation. Mm -hmm. I really, really felt for Gabe. Mm -hmm. It comes down to that saying, you can't pour from an empty pitcher. Mm -hmm. He's empty. Like, he's just broken. Right. He needs something new. Mm -hmm. Like, he can't help his siblings because he has to help himself. Right. He has no good choices. Leaving them is a horrible choice, but he can't provide for them if he stays either. Right. And so he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. And Puck and Finn both feel abandoned, and, and you know, rightfully so. I mean, he is abandoning right. them, but it basically boils down to two things. The scene where Puck confronts Gabe at the bar. Yes, I talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> And he's like, you know, I'm doing my best. And she's like, that's not good enough. And he replies, that's all I've got. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's that, that's all he's got. And then, like, the scene where Puck goes to confession and the priest tells and her that Gabe is in that same seat and cried as well. Right. Maggie had done, not a contest, but like a thing on Twitter where she asks, what's your favorite scene from this or your favorite quote from the Scorpio races? Mm-hmm. And I didn't answer on her Twitter feed because I was using our account. Mm. But I said, it really is, I think, the scene with Gabe and Puck in the bed, in the dark. Yes. Where they're talking and Gabe is just like, I can't, I can't, I can't. We finally get to the bottom of everything and like they finally actually like talk. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a detail that I think influences some of what Gabe's decision is. And that is the first time I went through the book, I thought that Gabe and Peg Grattan were having an affair. So there are a, huh. there are a couple little things, especially the scene in the house where Puck looks at Gabe and Peg and he's leaned over her and he's whispering in her ear and yeah. it's very intimate. And Peg is always coming to 
puck saying, well, Gabe said, Gabe said this, Gabe said that. And it's like, how, how would you, where would you talk to Mm -hmm. Gabe? Like this is, and so Maggie has said in the original draft of the Scorpio races, Gabe and Peg Grattan were having an affair. My editor thought it would work better hinted at rather than on screen. And I agreed with him and cut the obvious stuff. Huh. So that adds a kind of a layer of like, I can't be with this woman, like I need to leave, this is tearing me apart as well, that you just don't see on the page. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Does it change your perception of yeah, like, just where, like Gabe, wow. where Gabe's coming from? However, I will say I really dislike Gabe's gaslighting of Puck. Yes. When he calls her hysterical, when he knows full well she has a reason to be upset that the house is going to be taken away and that he did not tell them and that he's leaving and that he did not tell them and everybody else on the island seems everybody to know else knows. that he's going to leave mm-hmm. and him sweeping that under the rug basically like her home is going away right and she wasn't even told right and there's a scene later where she mentions it to finn and he's like oh yeah i know and puck's like well see i mean gabe completely underestimated our ability to deal with this Uh uh-huh yeah i don't think he went about what he needed well that's true Yeah. yeah He may have needed it and may have floundered and may have made poor decisions. They may have been justified in his own brain, but Mm -hmm. he didn't go about it the best possible way. All right. So one of the details we wanted to cover was doing a deep dive on water horses, sort of the legend behind the legends that are put into the Scorpio races. Okay, so the most condensed yet comprehensive overview of regional water horses that I found was in an online article written by Eric Edwards titled The Water Horse and the Kelpie. There are a number of regional variations of the water horse and the Kelpie and similar mythological creatures. These include the Ichushka. Ishka? Ishka, I think. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no, no. I don't know. I'm like, just do it. Okay, just like, do it. Just uh, okay. do it. <laughs> There's going to be Scandinavian later. Yes. The <laughs> Neck, a water spirit, and the Nix. In Scandinavia, the Norwegians have the Brook Horse, otherwise called the Bakahasten which is also called the Nokken. For Faroe Islanders, there's a Niker, and in Iceland, it's known as the Niker or the Ninner. In Orkneys, there's the Nuggle or the Nuggy, with the Shetland Islands, the home of the Tangi, the Shubaliti, <laughs> and the... Shoop, 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 Ah, yay! <laughs> no, I know where that comes from. <laughs> sure. And the Njogol? Njogol. I have no uh-huh. idea. The Manx Gaelic for water horse is the Kabul Ushti, and the Irish have their Kapaushka. 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 Yeah. Also known as the Glashton. The Irish had their Ishkes or Froth alongside the Shoni of Cornwall, derived from the Norse name Shofen, meaning goddess of the sea. <laughs> Shannon might wonder why I suckered her into doing it. <laughs> <laughs> The Keppel Dwyer. D- uh, yeah. Oh, God, Welsh. It's Welsh. Oh, no. <laughs> the only thing we're saying. I think it's Dur. Dur. Because it's Glendur. It's Glendur. Yeah, so yeah. it's like K 
Kifal Yu. A Welsh folktale. I don't sh- know. Please, if there's someone who's Welsh, please help us. Please forgive us. We need help. We need to actually, I know someone who speaks Welsh, but please. <laughs> All right, go ahead. We don't want to butcher the language. No, it's really hard. And um, I did look up some things, how to say them, and it's still hard. Anyway. Is a shape-shifting killer of travelers with flying ability that lives in mountain pools, as well as capable of disappearing into the mists. I find it interesting that I'd kind of been picturing Thisbe as off the coast of Ireland, but the name of the horses in the Scorpio races, I said it actually is closest to the Manx spelling, but that was because like I only saw the same spelling in one or two other places. Mm, mm-hmm. So, but you found it in yeah, multiple actually, other places. yeah, that the Irish was Capel Ishka. The Kelpie, which is much easier to say, first off, Uh which is the form I know this legend in, is the Scottish shape-shifting water spirit. Interestingly, they mostly seem to inhabit freshwater sources. A quote, the Kelpie would appear to victims as a lost dark gray or white pony, but could be identified by its constantly dripping mane. And I saw that a couple times when they had shape-shifted, the human would have seaweed in their hair Mm -hmm. or their hair would be constantly wet. It would entice people to ride on its back before taking them down to a watery grave. And also something I've come across and you had put this in as well, before the Scorpio races were the puka. The name of Puck is actually derived from or related to the root word of puka, Mm -hmm. as well as being the name of a shape-shifting fairy spirit in his own right, as we said earlier. The puka seemed to have more forms than just a horse, though, like dogs, goats, rabbits, etc. I think you said a bull bull. as well. Mm -hmm. It's also said that November is the month of puka. In Ireland of past, at Halloween, many children went out with puka, but others stayed indoors, fearful of stories they'd heard of what Puka did to children. Uh-huh. They're more tricksters than violent. Mm-hmm. They like to take unsuspecting people for wild rides. Yeah, and I'd seen a story of a king that mm-hmm. tamed a Puka and all this kind of stuff. Right, and they're always in animal form. Mm. Yeah, you don't really see them as humans. Most often a horse. Mm-hmm. And like we said, uh, sometimes they go to a bull. So mostly the same animals as the other shape-shifting water spirits we see. And like you said, they're associated with November. I am going to read a section on the puka from The Leprechaun's Kingdom by Peter Haining. It's a book on Irish folktales and mythology that I have. As historian Douglas Hyde has written in Beside the Fireside, 1920, in an old story, we read that out of a certain hill in Leinster, there used to emerge, as far as his middle, a plump, sleek, terrible steed. (laughs) and speak in human voice to each person about November Day, and he was accustomed to give intelligent and proper answers to such as consulted him concerning all that would befall them until November of the next year. And the people used to leave gifts and presents at the hill until the coming of Patrick and the Holy Clergy. I just thought that was kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Back to the Kelpies and other water horses that may have a more direct lineage with the Kapal Ishka. Each Mm -hmm. Ishka, the Kapal Ishka, the Kolpatch, the water horses, the Kelpies, they can adopt the guise of a beautiful young woman or man. Mm Mm-hmm. And again, in that interview at the end of the audiobook and at the end of the Kindle edition, Maggie talks about how she tried multiple times to tie that shape-shifting aspect into the story. Mm -hmm. It just ended up not being the kind of story she wanted to tell with that creature. 
creature. Though I feel like she did a little as much of the sea and the water horses as she put into Sean. As much of the connection she gave to him. This is where I get into headcanon territory. (laughs) Because she said that she purposefully left out the shape-shifting part of the legend because it was hard to work into a coherent story. Mm. And that by the time she had written the Scorpio races, she had already addressed the question of identity that shape-shifting tended to bring up in the Shiver Shiver trilogy. Mm -hmm. However, I had canon that the reason that Sean is so good with the Kapil Ishka is that he himself is the product of a shape-shifting Kapil Ishka interbreeding into a human lineage. That could very well be. It's just a head canon, Mm -hmm. but... I I buy it. They talk about how they don't interbreed very often, Mm -hmm. but they do interbreed sometimes. Mm -hmm. And there's also that whole line, the blood rings true, or the blood... Yeah, mm -hmm. blood calls to blood or something like that. I was like, like, when they're talking about breeding the horses, Mm. and every time they talk about a horse with Kappa Ishka blood, they're like, oh yeah, you know... There's some kind of oddity with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the blood doesn't always come through, and Sean's always like, it came through. Uh And I was kind of like... (laughs) So anyway, that's my headcanon. Anyone else is welcome mm -hmm. to accept that as well, but I I just think he has a shape-shifting Kappa Ishka ancestor at some point. So, shape-shifting was a common tradition when talking about the Fae in general, Mm -hmm. as well as the meetings at bridges or fords or the edges of streams or roadsides, which think the liminal spaces, as Shannon loves to say. I do. Or the boundaries between territories like the hedges referencing, we talked about fairy paths in Mm -hmm. a previous episode. And it's similar to the idea of the devil at the crossroads. Right. Indeed, later the Kelpies would be associated with the Infernal because it was said that they would keep their hooves even when in human form. And that's similar to a Native American myth in some regions of this country that's called the Deer Woman. Mm Mm-hmm. Or that sometimes the hooves would be put on backwards when they were in animal form. So I even found an excerpt for Ancient Poetry Corner. Yay! (laughs) Yay. So from Robert Burns, which is a Scottish poet, Address to the Deal, Devil. It was written in 1785. It was written in a Scottish dialect. Right on. When thou's dissolve the snowy hoard and float the jingling icy board, then water kelpies haunt the ford by your direction, and knighted travelers are lured to their destruction. (laughs) And he's basically saying that the devil makes kelpies Uh take travelers away. Right. So some of the aspects of these myths that Maggie did retain for the Kapaishka is their vicious nature and their tendency to people. Mm-hmm. Just like Maggie's version, the traditional versions of these creatures attack livestock and other horses on land. And when traditional water horses attack humans, they do so by drowning them. If the water horse is allowed to see the sea or water in general in some versions, it becomes adhesive, like you stick to it, mm-hmm. and then immediately runs into the water with its rider. And I wanted to say that in a lot of the stories, it can take more than one person because their back magically lengthens to accommodate <laughs> any number of persons riding on it. That's So awesome. it's basically a giant horse centipede <laughs> that's got a huge amount of people stuck to it. Wait, once you get to like five or six people, wouldn't you just say, this is not a horse I want to get on? <laughs> It wouldn't look like a horse anymore. No. Okay. Anyway. A wiener dog horse. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So Um, anyway, 
the people stick to it and it immediately runs into the water with the rider where it devours them and then the liver and lungs wash up later as Maggie <laughs> which Maggie a detail that Maggie mentions she's particularly fond of of course she is <laughs> the most common story that I personally know of seems to be one of the most gruesome as well a common Scottish folktale is that of the Kelpie and the ten children having lured nine children onto its back it chases after the tenth the child strokes its nose and his fingers become stuck fast he manages to cut off his fingers and escapes the other nine children are dragged into the water never to be seen again this part of the myth is worked into the Scorpio races because there's this sort of charm that comes over the riders if they let the the couple Ishka get too far into the sea and then all of a sudden it's sort of calling to the rider as well to go in Mm -hmm. to go in to go in it's really subtle but once you know the legend behind it the mythology I think it becomes more apparent that that's what she's talking about Mm -hmm. there's also some weather prognostication in the legend if you're passing by a river and hear an unearthly wailing or howling take care it could be a kelpie warning of an approaching storm okay so by the way Where was one of the most famous Kelpies located? Well, Shannon can see my notes. In Loch Ness in Scotland, of course. (laughs) There is a lot to be said for the Loch Ness monster, Nessie, being a newly bastardized myth of the Kelpie story that has surrounded the lake for centuries. Or Mm. is it a myth? (laughs) Also, a hilarious to me, and probably nobody else, side note, the first known report of a monster in Loch Ness appears in The Life of St. Columba. Nice. By Adam Nunn. I don't know who that is. Written in the 6th century AD, where St. Columba basically uses a turn undead slash protection from evil spell in D&D and repels a water beast, in quotes, who had attacked and killed a man in the river Ness. He basically like he basically held up a cross and said, Be gone, foul beast. Uh-huh. And it ran away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see arguments for and against Nessie being a Kelpie. Uh-huh. Just because I feel like there's this tendency to want to group everything together when it comes to cryptids. Well, but like, the problem is, is that there was a Kelpie story for hundreds of years uh, before see. there was a Nessie story. So Nessie didn't exist exist until like 1933 the kelpie story has been going since the sixth century so what they're saying is is that it's a newly bastardized has just recently been folded into this cryptozoology myth or legend that was it a story that was being told around the lake and then someone else picked it up and game of telephone and became Mm -hmm. something else I found a really great review slash essay online where the blogger completely misread the Scorpio races as being held in ancient Hellenic Greece and talks about the hippocampus, which is a type of water horse, Mm -hmm. and the carnivorous horses that Heracles had defeated. It's an absolutely amazing post, and I won't summarize it here, but I will highly recommend it to listeners and, of course, link to it in the show notes. That's awesome. It is pretty great because she was like, why would I misread this? Because my background's in ancient Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. So all this time I was thinking, even though there were all of these other clues, my brain said, this is what you know, this is what you know. Mm-hmm. And so she ties in all of these Greek things back to the Scorpio races. Mm-hmm. Okay, so one final little bit of trivia, mm-hmm. or just a little like side note kind of thing. One of my favorite fanfics 
to my little pony fanfic. Oh my god. Called Mandosity. It involves so a kel- fired. So <laughs> fired. <laughs> it involves a Kelpie. And one of the plot points involves this Kelpie coming in terms of the fact that Shelly Coats, which are actually another type of mythological water horse, they're just mm-hmm. not, they're like a much less violent kind. Mm-hmm. And in the fic, they're looked down on and shunned by the Kelpies. They're really just old Kelpies who've had too much stuff stick to them. So they're like Katamari Kelpies? Yeah. <laughs> Because Shelly coats are just covered in stuff. And so, like, the person who wrote this fic is like, yeah, Shelly coats are basically Kelpies because Kelpies are sticky, too. I don't know. <laughs> it's great. I'm just, I'm just like, giving you the long-suffering look. Yes. No, it's, it's good. It's good. I like okay. it. Okay. Anyway. No, that's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> I have to give you some kind of shit. Come on. <laughs> Okay, so back to questions. Who did you think was in the Mare Goddess costume? And what do you think about the sea wishes, curses or otherwise? Mm -hmm. And these are actually both pieces of that underlying ancient religion that I liked so much. Mm -hmm. The characters don't know who's in the Mare Goddess costume. Like, they can't figure it out. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we're supposed to either. No. I mean, I have no idea. I mean, the suggestion was Peg, but I think we saw her in the butcher. Almost immediate, immediately afterwards, uh-huh. yeah. So I don't really have a speculation. Okay. Though I actually like not knowing. Okay. Though I can totally see how Sean would have felt unease when, right. like, just didn't know who this person was, couldn't recognize right. their voice because they right. had the, yeah. the mask on. Yeah. And yeah. And as far as the sea wishes go, it's kind of a similar thing. Sean gets his wish, mm-hmm. but Mutt certainly doesn't. And then again, Mutt's was a literal curse. He, right. He was literally like, yeah. Yeah. And Sean was told to make a wish right. by a pona. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What did you think? I actually like to think that it was Annie, the mostly blind sister in the mare costume. Oh. Yeah. So Sean says that even close, it's hard to tell how how the woman ends and the false head begins and it's impossible to tell how she can see and that's page 180 of oh. the Scorpio races and one would think it's Peg like you said but she's back at the butchers and one might think that it's Dory Maud but apparently she might have been helping Finn place his bet maybe mm-hmm. Puck also finds it really weird that Elizabeth the third sister is out during the Riders parade which is the bloody ritual of the rock Right. but it makes sense if she She's there to keep an eye on Annie. Yeah. And it would make sense for her as, like you said earlier, it's the triple goddess. Right. Yeah. 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 That would make sense. The downfall to this theory is that the other two sisters are trying to get Annie off the island. And would they do that if she was the embodiment of Epona at the festival? Mm. However, I also feel like it's very possible that the role is passed from woman to woman each year. Based on what is said by the man Eaton who protests Puck riding in the race, the women Women are the island and the island keeps us. Right. So... Epona is also mentioned, as we talked about, and just a sidebar, Epona was a widespread Gaulish Celtic fertility goddess Mm -hmm. associated with horses that was wholly adopted by the Romans as well. Mm Epona is a really interesting Mm -hmm. set of stories. Yeah. I didn't really dig in because we had way too much already. Right. 
parallels between Puck and older female characters and Sean and the older male characters. For me, it was fairly obvious that for Sean and George Holly and Benjamin Malvern, mm-hmm. that those were the two paths he could walk down. It's true. If he wanted to be bitter and angry and selfish, he could become a Benjamin Malvern. If he wanted to be open and happy and inclusive, they both love horses. That's their life. Mm-hmm. That's what they do. But they were showing Sean this is your future, pick one. Decide what you want to be. I would say the other kind of clear one is Puck and Peg Grattan. She even says that she used to want to be like Peg based on what we said earlier. Her father had said that everyone knew that Peg Mm -hmm. could carve out their heart. But I think what I see kind of most in those two is not so much a parallel as it is there is a growth, which we touched on again earlier, from child to adult throughout the book and from Peg saying, I will stop you to I will aid you. And I will accept that we need to take a step forward. And this is the step that we're taking. Right. So I see a lot of parallels between Puck and her mom. Okay. Because she looks like her mom, rides horses like her mom, mm-hmm. and apparently inherited a good chunk of her mom's personality. Right. Feisty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's that whole line of, there wasn't much her mother didn't do on the island, you know, right. that kind of thing. I forget the exact line. And again, like you said, we also see similarities between her and characters like Dory May and Peg. Mm-hmm. Or Dory Maud. Dory Maud. We see her compared to strong-willed women who seem to embody the spirit of the island. Right. And there are also lots of the same kinds of parallels between Sean and his dad. Sean thinks his dad at the end was afraid and he doesn't like that about him. Yeah. But, you know, like, he looks like his dad. They're both good with horses. Mm-hmm. They both love not so much the island as like the sea and the Kappa Ishka. Mm-hmm. And what I find interesting is that the person that Sean seems to have the most in common with and learn the most from mm-hmm. is George Holly. Yeah. yeah. Like you said, it's like, here's your future. Pick one. Right. It's like with Puck, her belonging and ties to the island are the island itself. The place. Yeah. And with Sean, it's Kor and the water horses. Right. Which are only found on Thisbe. Right. Exactly. Right. So he's tied to the island... Or at least the sea around it, because, like, this is where the horses he loves are. Sean's mirror can be Holly, who's an outsider, because, you know, Holly is another horse lover. Mm Mm-hmm. If you could write the perfect coda of Sean and Puck's life after the end of the book, what would it be? I actually really love George Holly's prediction. Which is? That he will come back in a year or, you know, or two or mm-hmm. three. And Sean will have a yard full of horses and Puck in his bed. Uh-huh. And it's like, I want them to raise horses and have a family together. And I'm just like, yeah, they should have a little boy not named after Tommy and a little girl named after Puck's mom. Mm-hmm. And I also really want Corin Dove to have colts. Yep, that's pretty much <laughs> mine, too. It's, I mean, there's only really one way it can go. So... Yeah, mine's definitely that Benjamin Malvern, after Mutt is killed, dies bitter and old and alone, but secretly loves Sean and Puck and their gaggle of children living at Sean's old farm because Puck's was left to Finn and his 15 cats and leaves the Malvern yard to them after he passes. (laughs) And or they have already become successful breeders in their own right, with Cor and Dove having lots of wild and slightly salty in smell and temperament, colts and fillies. (laughs) So perhaps they become so wild 
wildly successful that they put Malvern out of business or buy it out from under him. I just really want to see the ancient stable go to Sean either way. (laughs) That is very important. Yeah. Okay. All right. So connections to other media or traditional fairy and folktales. I only really have one. Mm-hmm. There's lots and lots and lots we and lots and lots and lots. We talked a lot about so, the, right. the important ones. But just other media, the Black Stallion, of course. Mm-hmm. Everything about Sean and Cor reminded me of the relationship mm-hmm. in that book, even down to the beach and the race. Yeah. So just before reading The Scorpio Races, I finished a book called The Mermaid Singing by Lisa Carey, and it actually felt surprisingly similar. Mm -hmm. It's also about life on a small island off the coast of Ireland, and it also has Celtic mythology threaded through it. Mm -hmm. It's about three generations of women from this island, and they move back and forth between Ireland and America. Like, the grandmother moves to Boston and then brings her daughter back to Ireland and then the daughter hates Ireland and moves away and then she dies and her daughter has to go back to live with the grandmother okay but yeah so they're the same things of it taking a certain type Mm -hmm. of person to live on the island right and there's the same isolation and like Mm -hmm. fishing and the island being rough and Mm -hmm. there's also like the same thread of like an ancient religion overwritten by Catholicism except this time it's mermaids and sea goddesses rather than horses Mm-hmm. And like, you know, of everyone leaving or being extremely dangerous and like the fishing village and there are like a lot of people who die mm-hmm. or are taken by the ocean. You know, oh, the sea took them. is you Right. Know. And it's also a kind of love story to the sea, like parts of the Scorpio races is. <laughs> awesome. So you had to be prepared for the secret bonus question. Oh, what's the bonus <laughs> question? Have you ever felt a magical, unexplainable draw to a certain place, a feeling of home, without ever knowing why? Oh, that's a good question. So West Virginia and Appalachia is so home for me right. that I've never felt that specific feeling anywhere else, mm-hmm. though I'm pretty sure I would if I went to Ireland. Gotcha. <laughs> Maybe you haven't found it yet. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. Like when I went to England, the old places there, it was really interesting. Like the feeling that I got of being in place with like so much history because yeah, our history here is 200 or 300 years at uh-huh. most. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's obviously Native, Native American history. history, but we don't get to know that. Right. Like, we don't know it. Yeah. It's been it's not. Yeah. And it's not concrete the way a 3,000 year old crumbling fort that right. was Celtic exactly. and then Roman and then. Like, yeah. It's like a, an inn that's been active for a thousand years. Right. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I completely agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, being able to go to see places that were thousands of years old versus a hundred years old mm. or two hundred years old was mind boggling. Yeah. <laughs> and we just don't have that sense of longevity here. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. So how about you? For me, it's the section of Northern California coast from like a little south of Eureka to a little north of the mouth of the Klamath River. Mm -hmm. And driving down, it's almost like passing through a misty veil into a completely different dimension. Wow. Just suddenly everything looks and feels different. It's like a slip. It's just a slip. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's actually locally and colloquially known as the Redwood Curtain. Like, uh. it's the coastal redwoods, but it's this very specific rainforest where it's so lush and you have the mist rolling in. And it just, 
Yeah. That's super cool. It's I moved there right out of leaving home and it was like just being there was life changing. And, you know, maybe someday I'll live there again. But mm. that's it. So you miss it? I do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love Portland, but mm-hmm. yeah. All right. I think that we should stop and put icing and eat our fucking yes. November cakes. Okay, so we have our November cakes, which please describe what they look like. They look like a cinnamon roll. With a ton of caramel, honey, glaze, way too much, possibly. (laughs) I'll just say straight off the bat that it's a completely adulterated recipe. (laughs) So we are going to take our first bites of, and we are using a fork and a plate. Mm. Okay, yeah. (laughs) That's pretty good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So I added a little cardamom and orange zest and brown sugar in the spiral of the cake. Mm-hmm. That's good. The orange zest was mm-hmm. a good plan. I also did the orange extract in the icing, mm-hmm. but just a little. It's very orangey. But I think the spiciness is good. Mm-hmm. The cardamom. Mm, it tastes like fall. <laughs> it kind of does. Mm-hmm. All right. That's probably enough ASMR. <laughs> We'll finish these up, and then we'll go to the wrap-up of the, the episode. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say, I had my MVC picked before we started recording this time. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> Guys, you should be proud of me for this, because I almost never do that. Yeah. Nivita's always like, have you picked it? Have you picked it? No. Okay, well, since you're so excited <laughs> and you picked it, go first. Core! Oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> I love that horse. Yeah. And he's so integral in everything. For being a non-human, he's pretty important. I also picked a non-human. Let me guess. Can I guess? Yeah. Dove? No. The Island of Thisbe. Oh. (laughs) The island itself. It's a living, breathing character in the book, I think. Yeah, it is. I find that really interesting that you picked the (laughs) island and I picked the horses. (laughs) (laughs) yeah so do we want to i think they can share it they can share it i think they can show mvcs yeah okay sounds good (laughs) i'm okay with that so the because like the the horses and the island (laughs) all right sounds good those are the most valuable character yeah and i did want to read one last quote back to the 42nd century butter pies and the sense of place that maggie said it wasn't just the sights and the sounds it was the taste in my mouth and the feeling on my skin and the sense that no matter where i turned my head in this book i'd experience something new about the world it was as they say the little things awesome all right well that was was a a very long episode we thought we'd be like oh it's gonna be great it's gonna be fast nope all right maggie watch maggie is actually doing a chapter by chapter online group read-along of the scorpio races oh for reasons she said in quotes starting november 1st which if you download this and we get it up in time would be the day that this episode drops november 1st of 2018 
It's an offshoot of the Howl's Moving Castle read-through that she started on October 23rd. Oh. So I'm sorry, I, I forgot about that. Yeah. I almost wish that we weren't releasing this episode until after the read-through is over, to be honest. But I guess we'll just see if some of our analysis of the details is correct. <laughs> <laughs> like, I keep thinking, oh, she might say something, but uh-huh. like... Uh, yeah, but I will post the link that Maggie put together for the read along. So you can, I think, still join at any time okay. and get in on that. And then a supporter shout out, and hopefully they will listen to this episode. But I don't think we ever had the chance to thank 2 of swords 621, 2 of swords 621, for leaving us a five star review on iTunes last June. Wow. <laughs> but here's what they had to say Yeehaw! <laughs> Which is like just a great title. A must-listen for any Raven Cycle fan. That's really awesome. The series the series works really well with this level of in-depth analysis, and I love every minute of it. The deep dives are well-researched and enhance the story. Shannon and Vita are smart and funny and mindful. They always make sure to provide trigger warnings and content warnings when they discuss difficult topics. They really do an amazing job. Can't wait for the next episode. So I just Aww. wanted to say thank you very much. We obviously read every single review and every single comment and mm-hmm. I will um, screenshot tags that people put on their Tumblr posts and send them to Shannon because she doesn't <laughs> see those as often and make sure that that stuff's shared and we do see it and we do mm-hmm. love it and you guys have kept us going even through the unfortunately unplanned hiatus so mm-hmm. with that thank you all very much for listening Woo-hoo! yeah we are done yeah thanks for joining us today Our next episode will be the beginning of season two, The Dream Thieves. And for real this time. Really, really. (laughs) Yeah. With a deep dive on tropes of fairy tales. I think we're going to be trying to focus on Celtic fairy tales and how they... How they specifically tie back into the Raven cycle, yeah. Mm -hmm. And our recording schedule is several weeks ahead of release schedule. So follow us online for announcements of what chapters we'll be covering next. And we will be getting back into announcing those. And do please send us your thoughts. Like with the mailbag episode, we do want to get your questions. We do want to get those back to you guys. And we do love hearing from you just in general. Absolutely. You can find us practically everywhere on social media at Raven Girls, R-A-V-I-N-G-I-R-L-S. On Twitter at Raven Girls. On Tumblr at ravengirls.tumblr.com. Facebook at facebook.com slash ravengirls. And reach us directly at ravengirls at gmail.com. And you can reach me at substanceparty.com tumblr.com or at gmail at substance party with all of the a's taken out s-u-b-s-t-n-c-e-p-r-t-y at gmail.com and if we have referenced a post or article in the podcast we'll do our very best to include the source links to those in the show notes the scorpio races and all affiliated properties are copyright maggie steve otter and scholastic incorporated we hope you've enjoyed today's episode and until next time whoop whoop raven girls yes Yeah. Mmm, <laughs> sugar. Honey, honey, you are my November cake. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. With shoo-bee-doo, shoo-shoo-bee-doo.
Sea Pony song from My Little Pony. Never mind. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You're so fired. Can yeah, I? That's it. Can I fire? I fired my podcast partner. Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? <laughs> anyone wanna? <sighs> All right. Okay. <laughs>